Hey, well, welcome everybody. Welcome to Elevate Miami Church. We want to welcome all y'all that are here. We're very glad you're here. We want to welcome those watching us by live stream. And we honor you this morning. You could do anything you wanted to do, but you have honored us by watching this stream. And we really believe that God has a word for you this morning. And we have a word for everybody that's in this room this morning. And it's nothing but good news. We're talking about storms. Can we talk about storms? Is that relevant? That's, that's pretty relevant today, right? Storms expose the foundations of our lives. That's what a storm does. Jesus says this in Matthew. We're talking about getting, having faith through the storm, how to overcome and make it through the storm. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, whoever hears these sayings of mine, everybody say it with me, does them. I will liken him to a man who, or a woman who built their house upon a rock. And everybody say this, the rain descended. Come on, we can do better than that. This is first service. The rain descended. The floods came and the wind blew and beat upon the house. I want you to say that, this, but that house did not fall. That's right, because it was founded on the rock. And he says, but everyone who hears these saying of mine and does not do them is like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow, beat upon that house, and that house falls. And great is that house's fall. One of the things storm does, storms are external stresses that apply, external pressure that applies stress to a dwelling. We lived here in South Florida. We know all about hurricanes, right? Yeah. And we know that that storm puts stress on the dwelling more than anything else. What happens when the rain tests your covering, right? See if you got any leaks. The wind tests what you have surrounded yourself with. And the rising flood tests what you're founded upon. Well, everything going on in our world, we have an experience of all of that stuff. We have a storm all over the place. There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of un- un- unknowns in play. The Bible says that there's only one thing that changes, and it's Jesus Christ today, yesterday, and forever. The same yesterday, today, and forever. In a world where everything changes, Jesus is the immovable. Jesus is the rock. And so when we put our lives on anything other than Christ, your life is going to be shifted. The rain, what the Bible tells us very clearly here, is you can't avoid the rain. I don't know if you caught that. The rain fell upon the, guy, the house with, that was on the rock, and the rain fell upon the house that was on the sand. The wind blew upon both houses. So the rain will come. The Bible tells us that clearly. The winds will come. Heaven is perfect. This world isn't. It isn't. This world is full of broken people, broken systems, doing broken things. Can I get a witness? You understand what I'm saying? And so this world, and then the rising floods, they begin to rise. And there's only two ways of living. The Bible's very clear on this too. There's really only two ways of living. Jesus just illustrated it here. You're either with me or you're without me. There's only two ways. There's not many ways. There's one way. His name's Jesus. And Jesus accepts no other alternative. It's an all-in proposition. So when you come to Jesus, it's an all-in proposition. This isn't, I'm going to dip my toe in the water and see, if it's t- see what the temperature's like. That's not the way it works. The gospel's, meant to, the gospel's not only meant, it's worthy of your full commitment. Full commitment. And so with, there's only two ways of living. There's with Jesus and there's without him. And without him, I don't recommend that one. That one's not a good one. I've followed Jesus since I was very young. I mean, I'm an older guy right now, you know, pray for me. But, you know, when I, was, I came to Christ when I, was almost, when I was 20 years old. I received him when I was with my grandmother, but, you know, lived la vida loca, went crazy, did all that crazy stuff. Then my life was shot out, and hopefully I learned at a very young age 
that I didn't want my shot out life to go any further. And so I had an opportunity and I came to the Lord. And when I came to the Lord, all of my friends thought I was nuts. They thought I was crazy because I was very zealous for Jesus. And my commitment to him was one thing. I said, I'm jumping out of this plane. I'm Jesus says, jump. I'm Geronimo. I don't even know if I have a parachute on. I'm not sure, but I'm going all in on this. Because if this doesn't work, I'm not going to waste 10 years of my life on this. And that was more than 30 years ago, and I haven't stopped. In my whole Christian life, I've had been surrounded by believers that are always telling me to calm down. The Bible doesn't say calm down. The Bible says fan it into flame. That's what he told Timothy. Stir it up. If you want a literal translation, it means take that coal and put wind on it until it burns into a fire. We're not supposed to be embers. We're lights that light up the night. We're people of fire. We're on fire for Jesus. We're filled with his spirit and we fan each other into flame. We're not trying to turn the lights down on each other. We're supposed to fan each other to another level. That's what we're called to do. That's who we are. Jesus is an all in proposition. Now you want some sobering things. I've been sharing some sobering scriptures. Like last week I was sharing some. So I thought, man, that's a sobering scripture. This is a sobering scripture, right? I talked a little bit about the parable of the talents last week. That's a sobering thing when you read that. That you're going to be accountable for your faith. And Jesus doesn't say accept excuses. What he gave you, he expects a return on. How do we do that? Well, that's the art form, isn't it? Now, here's another one that's going to sober you up. Right? If you think this is a game, watch this. Revelation chapter 3, verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15, he says, I know your deeds. That's the first thing that should make you go, what? He knows your deeds. But he's not looking at you. If you I want you to say this. Jesus... Come on. Jesus never looks at me to judge me. He is looking at me to reward me. His eyes upon you are never to judge you ever. His eyes upon you are to reward you. And so when the Lord is looking at you, he's looking into areas of your life that align with him and align with his purpose so he can reward it. He's not looking at you in condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't look at you that way. What he's doing is when God is examining your life and he's saying, I know your deeds. It's like, dude, I want to bless you, but I can't do it because you won't let me. There's multiple verses that lay into that as well. God is always looking to bless you. He says, I know your deeds because you're neither hot nor cold. And what does this mean? This verse was written to a church that was situated up in the mountains and they had hot springs and they had cool rivers. They had both. And people would travel to this place, Laodicea, to sit in the medicinal hot springs for their arthritis and their rheumatoids. So there was a medicinal aspect. And they would also go to this place to receive refreshing in cool springs. So they'd get revived. So Jesus isn't condemning the cold here. If you read what he's saying in context, what he's doing is he's saying, you're not useful to me. There is nothing in your life that I can find any use for. You're in the middle. You don't provide any medicinal healing value and you don't provide any refreshing revivingness. There's nothing refreshing or reviving or encouraging about you. And there's nothing healing about you. Which if you really want to get straight, those are the two hands of the gospel. He said, so you're neither hot nor cold. And because you can't make up your mind and you won't do anything, you just kind of stand in the middle. You don't provide any refreshment and you don't provide any medicinal value. And you're not even willing to go there. You're lukewarm. <laughs> and I'll spit you out of my mouth. So he's saying you're useless. What does this mean? It's salt without savor. It's a city on a hill that's hidden. 
It's light that puts itself under a basket. Jesus is pretty clear on what we're supposed to be and who we're supposed to be in this world. We're not supposed to act like the world acts. And that's not, again, smoking, drinking, and chewing, and hanging out with those that we're doing. We're supposed to have an entirely different mindset. The Bible says we're in the world, but we're not of it. It's the word cosmos. And the word cosmos means system of thinking. So when Jesus refers to the world, he's not referring to a physical place. He's referring to a system of thinking. You understand that? And so while we're in this world, this system of thinking, can I get a witness? Right? Some of you work for corporate clients and you work in the, in the weird, there's a system of thinking that's based on greed. Gimme, Jimmy. My name is Jimmy. You know, gimme, gimme, gimme. Right? There's a system of greed that's, there's a system within this world that says that you are in this world. Whatever I can gain from you is what I'm going to take. This world thinks in an entirely different way than the kingdom. We are to think from heaven to earth. We are to think as he thinks. We have access to the mind of Christ. Be renewed. Be transformed. What? By the, by the renewing of your mind. What does that mean? We think as he thinks. We see as he thinks. We think from a culture of heaven. We don't think from the culture of this world. This is a world of greed. We're a people of generosity. This is a world of hate. We're a people of love. This is a world of war. Well, we have a war, but it's in the spirit. We're a people of peace. You understand that? We're people of love. We're a people of unity. We're a people of exhortation. We're not a people that steps on others. We lift the value of people. That's what we're supposed to be. Born again people bringing forth the kingdom in the way that he says. And so we're supposed to operate this way. That's what we are. And so scripture is really clear on that. It's not fuzzy at all. Unfortunately, it's not taught enough. The people are not taught how to, how to live that lifestyle because it is a lifestyle. The gospel is a lifestyle. Jesus said you got to give everything up and what? Follow him. Deny yourself. That's you. Take up your cross. That means whatever's too, whatever, whatever burden you may have or whatever thing you have to give up or whatever's difficult for you, you need to pick it up and follow him. And if you don't follow him, you're not worthy of me. That's a powerful statement right there. If you don't follow him, you're not worthy of me. Come on. We need to teach this stuff. The Christian needs to rise to the level of their birth. You are born again sons and daughters of the highest. You understand that? Born again sons and daughters of the highest. You are divine royalty in the earth. Say, I have no idea what that looks like. Neither do I, but I'm trying to figure it out. He said, that's who we are. Ambassadors of Christ. Heirs of this world and the one to come. I said last week, we're going to judge angels. What the heck does that mean? I don't know. But the Bible says we're going to judge angels. That's the position that we hold. And so what you've got to understand, I want you to say this for me. Jesus, Jesus. calls me who I am long before I get there. Right. We serve a God who gives life to the dead and calls what is not as though it were. He calls you son long before you look like a son. He calls you daughter long before you look like a daughter. He doesn't wait for you to look like a daughter before he calls you daughter. He calls you daughter the minute you receive him into your heart. You don't look like it. See, what the deal is, is we are to receive and adapt our lifestyle into the identity that he has set upon us. And so we are to live as a son. Everything about my life is to orient itself into the lifestyle of who I am to him. He's my father. I'm his son. So every decision I make, every attitude I have is to be reflected. It's not easy, but it's, that's the pursuit of our lives. It's the same thing as a daughter. We are to live as he has called us to be. It doesn't matter what other people's opinion of you are. Jesus never lowers his opinion of you. This is incredibly important to get. 
He loves you on your worst day. You're never not a son. Did you know that? There is nothing you can do to disqualify you because you didn't qualify you. Jesus qualified you. You cannot disqualify what you didn't qualify. You're not qualified based upon you. It's by grace we're saved, right? Through faith. Did you qualify for that? No. Only thing you did was believe. Sons of the, just sharing a story with a guy this week. We're talking about the prodigal son. Beautiful story. Powerful story. Lots of narratives in that. One of the most powerful narratives in that story is when the son says in, is he, he's in the swine field, right? So he's eating husks with the pigs. The Bible says this. He came to himself. That's what we need to do as believers. We need to come to ourselves. We need to have a revelation of who we are. And he says, wait a minute. My father's wealthy. My father has bread to spare. The servants are better dressed than me. The servants are better fed than me. I will return and go to my father and say, I've sinned against heaven and earth and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me in as a servant. You guys know the story? What did he do? He rose and went to his father, right? And when he got a far way up, well, the father saw him, the father ran to him. And when he did, what happened? The son said, father, I have sinned against heaven and earth and I am no longer. And he couldn't even get, the father wouldn't even let him say it. Didn't even say it. The Lord would accept the repentance, but he would never allow him to lower his identity. Do you understand that? God will accept repentance, but he will never, ever, no matter what you've done, allow you to lower the identity. You can lower your identity, but he never will. You can allow other people to lower your identity, but he, will never, he never will. And so the goal here is to think as he thinks, to be as he is. I'm a son. It doesn't matter what I've done. Jesus loves me on my worst day. Jesus is for me even when I'm against me. God's against me. Who told you that? Your Bible doesn't tell you that. Who told you God's against you? Who told you God's judging you? Doesn't tell you that. You don't have any, who told you you're not a son? Who told you you're not worthy? Who told you that? What lie do you believe that is, that is contradicting? What high thing is exalting itself against the knowledge of Christ? So we, know, we, need to, we need to understand that Jesus is the word of God. So if we're going to have faith in this time, we're going to have faith going through this, we have to have a rock upon which we build our lives. What is that rock? Jesus, clearly. And who is Jesus? In manifest form, he's the word of God. And so we can anchor our lives down on the word of God. John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I love this. We beheld his glory. Everybody say this. The glory of the Lord is the goodness of the Lord. That's right. It's the Hebrew word kavod. It means weight, weight of goodness. So when we talk about God's glory, it is the substance of his goodness. That's his glory. It's not his shining appearance. That may be an aspect of it, but what glory is, is weight of substance of goodness. That's why he puts glory on your life. The glory that is his, he gives to you. He wants to put weight and substance upon your life. True. The word became flesh and we beheld his glory. What is the glory? The weight of goodness of the only one sent forth from the father. Full of what? Grace and truth. What's grace? Spiritual power moving in love. Jesus is full of what? Spiritual power moving in love. So grace is. God's riches at Christ's expense. Yeah, we can say that. But let's really get down on grace isn't just an abstract thing. Grace is a living thing. Grace is an experiential thing. Grace is something that we can not only know, but can be an active presence in our life. God's ability in your inability. Spiritual power moving in love. God giving you the ability to do what you cannot do. God giving you the ability to, to know what you should not know or what you cannot know. How is that possible? God's spiritual power moving in love. 
That's how it's possible. It's how we get born again. It's by grace. What happens? Spiritual power moving in love comes into your heart. Come on. Any born again people here this morning? Come on. I got two over here. I got any born again people over here? All right. (laughs) How do we become born again? Because spiritual power moving in love comes into our hearts. And we experience grace. The word of promise. So Jesus is the rock of God. He's the word of God. He's the word of promise. This is powerful too. If you're going to read the word, it's, listen, scripture is great about knowledge, right? It's all good about knowledge. Let me just, let's just illustrate something from the scriptures here, right? We have these Pharisees and these Sadducees that were all full of doctrinal knowledge, yet they were completely irrelevant to Jesus. Then we have a group of people that understood God's promises or the promises from, their word, from the word of God and the activity of the, of the power of God came into their life. You look at these Pharisees, these Sadducees, it's not that doctrine wasn't important. They believed doctrine, but they did not accompany their doctrine with faith and they did not accompany their doctrine with power or action. You see the woman with the issue of blood. She touched the hem of his garment. Why? Why? She said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment because she believed Malachi. Malachi said, when the Messiah comes, he will have healing in his wings. Jesus had the prayer shawl. He had the shawl over him. They're called the wings. When they lifted up their hands, they would wrap the talith or the tzitzit around the, the string around their fingers. And they would lift their hands and the garment would spread like wings as they were worshiping the Lord. And she knew the promises of God. She may not have known all the doctrine that all the Pharisees knew. But she said, woman with the issue of blood. She said, if I can touch The hem of his garment. If I can touch his wings. Because healing is in his wings. That's why she didn't touch his shoe. That's why she didn't touch his robe. She touched the hem of the prayer shawl. And what did Jesus call her? Anybody know? Daughter. Come on. Not a new crowd here. (laughs) He called her daughter. Daughter. Because she knew who she was. And she knew what was hers. You understand that? He didn't go running around calling everybody daughter. He didn't go running around calling everybody son. But he called her daughter because this is one who knows who I am. This is one who knows what belongs to her. She knows that's hers by right of inheritance. She knows who I am. Powerful word. He's the word of promise. Doctrine's important. I'm all in on doctrine. I'm a doctrinal guy. I'm a word guy. But the, the Bible says that the, the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. If you don't combine the spirit with the word of God, you've got death all over the place. We got a sword that we're just wielding it, whipping it around. If we even whip it around at all, we hack people with it and we stab people with it because we don't add spirit to the, to the word. Where's the spirit in the word? It's in the promises. Second Peter says this, as his divine power has given us all things that pertain in life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Well, He has given to you right now everything that pertains to your life. It's already provided for. That's what the Bible's saying here. Everything that has has already been pertained or everything has already been given that pertains to you in life and godliness. Where is it found? In the heavenly places in Christ Jesus through the promises. Everything that you need is already reserved in the heavenly places. That's why why the church for decades would say, well, we're going to get it when we get to heaven. No, you can have it in the rotten here and now. We don't, need, we don't just get it in the sweet by and by. We get it in the rotten here and now. If we understand that we have access to that. If we understand that the things that are provided for us are in activation of the promises. All things that pertain through the knowledge of him who called us to what? Glory, spiritual power, moving in love, virtue, which is just purity, rightness, 
by which we have been given to us, what? Exceedingly great and precious promises. Through the precious promises, we partake. We draw from the divine nature. Isn't that wild? God said, I'm going to make you a promise. That's why, that's why not everybody can draw from the divine nature. They don't experience God in levels that they're called to. Because they don't believe the promises. And our faith becomes Greek stoicism. Right? We're observers. Everything, we serve a stoic God. Who's off there and is just out there. The divine sovereign being. The stoic. If you read your New Testament, Paul confronted every philosophical viewpoint. Including stoicism. Where you view God as this distant, abstract person who doesn't care about you. That's completely wrong. He loves you. He's active. And he's inviting you by faith. You have to demonstrate faith. That's what he wants, right? And how do we demonstrate faith? By believing him for his promises. That's how we demonstrate faith. And he says, and if you will put faith in my promises, you will follow after my promises. We're going to talk about this for a second. Then I'm going to allow you to draw from my nature. As you pursue the promises, you're going to draw from my nature and you're going to learn that I'm good. As you draw from my nature because you're pursuing the promises, you're going to learn that I'm loving. There's something called gnosis, which is knowledge. And there's experiential knowledge, which is called epignosis. Epignosis is when you've learned something by experience. Now, is it better to learn it from a book or is it better to learn it by... Which one's more living to you? Experience, right? And so this is what he's talking about. He's talking about epignosis. Not, you won't just hear that I'm good. You're going to experience the fact that I'm good. And no one will be able to tell you differently because you've experienced it. No one's going to be able to tell you that this isn't right or this isn't who I am because you've experienced me. Understand that? That's what he calls us to. When he says you're drawn from my nature, as you pursue my promises, you're going to see that I'm real. As you pursue my promises, you're going to see that I'm loving, that I'm kind, that I'm just, that I'm good. And you're not going to just know of me. You're going to know me. Whole different ballgame. That's when your faith comes alive. That's when we all walk around like we know Jesus personally. Right? <laughs> it creates a totally different environment than these religious contexts that we structure. Having escaped the corruptions in the world through selfish pursuits. God says you're going to get away from the corruption that's in the world by trusting me for my promises. Faith in the storm. We have to believe God in this hour, in this moment. God has a word for you. Jesus has a word for you. I'll tell you the story. Jeremiah, worst story in the worst story in the history of Judaism. They ran away from God. The Lord says, don't run. They ran anyway. Right? Prophet comes to the people and go, don't run away. And they go, okay, thanks. And they run away. But just in case, they took Jeremiah the prophet with them. Isn't that crazy? So the prophet comes to him and goes, don't run away. And they go, okay. And then they run. But they kidnap Jeremiah in the middle of the process. So they're kidnapped Jeremiah. They're all running away, doing exactly what they're not supposed to do. And of course, they inevitably end up in trouble. When you do that, you're going to end, inevitably you're going to be in trouble. And so this is one of them. I love this story because it speaks so much about the heart of God. Is that they're in this place in the middle of a, in the middle of a disaster that they have helped create. Can I get a witness? They're in the middle of a disaster that they helped create. And they look to the prophet that they kidnapped. And you know what they ask him? This is crazy. They look at the prophet that they kidnapped and they go, is there a word from the Lord? Now, you put yourself in that position. You're over there chained to a tree. Yeah, I got a word for you. I got a few of them. And he says, is there a word from the Lord? And Jeremiah says, there is. 
There is. He says, return to me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. Don't worry. Come back. I know you made a stupid mistake. I know you did some. Is that beautiful or what? We portray Jesus as he's walking around with his baseball bat. Oh, I told you to stay and you ran, huh? Oh, and you took my prophet with you? You want a word? Bam, here's your word. I mean, that's how we look at the Lord. He's not like that at all. He's not like that at all. You can break it and he'll help you fix it. Your heavenly father's in the restoration business. It's what he does. It's all he does. And so here we have faith in the storm. You want to see faith in the storm? Watch this. Jesus reference, every time he references, he'll reference something and he'll say, have you not read? Or he'll reference this. Did I not say? So what is he always calling us back to? He's calling us back to what has already been said. And he's calling us back to what he has already spoken. So when they're always confused, he'll go, didn't you read that? Don't, don't you guys read? You guys read? You, you know what I said? Or he'll say something like this. Didn't I tell you? Here's a didn't I tell you. They're crossing to the other side. Jesus said, come on, let's get in a boat. We're going to the other side. So they launched out. They sail across the, across the sea. Jesus has been ministering all day. He's tired. He falls asleep in the boat. <laughs> Sleeping in the boat, going across the thing. Jesus sent them there. You don't think he knew there was a storm coming. They find themselves in the middle of the storm. Jesus doesn't wake up at all. The storm doesn't rile him. Why? Because he's not bound to this world. There's no storms in his world. The storms can rage all about him, but he's not of this world. Neither are you. Neither are you. And he falls asleep, and the windstorm comes on the lake, and the boat's filling with water. So the boat, waves, wind, the whole deal, house falling, the, that kind of picture. And, they, and the disciples freak out. And they're like, we're in jeopardy. We're going to die. And they go to Jesus, and they said, Master, we are perishing. Jesus got up, rebukes. They were like, what? Who said we're perishing? You Calm down. The storm calms. And it says there was calm. And he looked at them and said, where's your faith? Right? Why would he say that? Why would he say, where's your faith? Do you know why? It's right here. Let us go to the other side of the lake. Because he said, we're going to the other side. He didn't say, we're going into the middle of the lake to drown. That's not what he said. He said, where's your faith? Didn't I tell you we're going to the other side? Didn't I say it? Did I tell you, Peter, to get in the boat because we're going to go die in a storm? Did I tell you that? He didn't tell you that. What does the Lord tell you? Did he tell you you're going to drown? Did he? No. Did he tell you you're going to be overcome? So here's the difference, right? This is what we are. We're people of faith. Experience or circumstance with me. Circumstances are not the same as truth. As a Christian, say this with me, as a Christian, that's all right, as a Christian, I am called to pursue truth in spite of the circumstances. You understand that? Your circumstances are speaking to you. Your circumstances create a false reality. They're in a, they're in a false reality. Jesus told them they're going to the other side. This is how we learn to trust the Lord. What has God told you? If you need a word in this hour, he will give you one. He will give you one, and I can 100% guarantee you it will be hopeful, it will be encouraging, and it will be directional. And it's not going to be you're going to drown in the sea, right? Paul's on a boat, another shipwreck, right? All night, fasting, freaking out, chained to a pillar. Nobody listened. Paul said, listen, the Lord, this is not a good thing. I don't feel like the Lord is telling us to go on this trip, remember? And the Romans throw him in a boat and said, well, too bad, Paul, you're not in charge here. Chain this dude to the mask and shut him up. They get out in the water, and all of a sudden the storm's raging, and they're all going to peril. And so Paul intercedes and begins to pray. 
And the angel of the Lord came to him. And what did he do? He gave him a word. He said, all these possessions will be lost, but not one life will. Just do what I tell you to. Now, how many knows they listened to him the second time? The second time Paul instructed them, they listened to him. He said, look, you got to dump the cargo. you got to get rid of everything. And you got to do what I'm telling you. And if you do what I'm telling you, not, nothing will be lost. It doesn't matter what you're in. You can be changed to a mast. You can be a prisoner of a circumstance that you didn't create. You're just there. But God's got a word for you. He's got a word for you. Come on. He does. It's hopeful. We have a living faith, ladies and gentlemen. A living faith. We don't serve abstracts. We serve absolutes. There's a lot of abstractions to our faith in the spirit. But at the bottom, at the, but at the end of the day, it's an absolute. So what do we do? How do we do this? We have to have faith in God's word. That's how we get through the storm. We treat scripture as a gift. Your Bible's a gift. I don't know if you know that. The Lord says to my people, I promise to give you what? My spirit. Here we go with the two, two, two in tandem, spirit and word. I give you my spirit and my word. These are my gifts to you and your families forever. So Jesus gives us a gift. Well, Holy Spirit's a gift. We should value him. But if he gives us his word, we need to value whatever gifts the Lord gives us. We need to value them. If a king deems it valuable enough to give it to you, you need to be, deem it valuable enough to receive it. So we need to treat Scripture as a friend. We need to treat Scripture as a gift. We need to welcome it as a friend. James 1 says this, Lay aside all filthiness. This is the word reparii. And it means harmful activities, habits, and objects. Get rid of everything that is harming you. All right? Step one, right? This is, everybody say, weed it, then seed it. That's what we're doing here. Jesus is saying, weed it, weed your life, then seed it again. So get rid of all the harmful activities and habits and objects and receive the welcome, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Sozo, save, heal, and deliver, right? So it says, what is he saying? Get rid of the harmful habits, welcome the word of God, and receive it with an implanting, which will transform you. This word welcome is doxamai. It means to welcome, to prepare place. If we're going to welcome the word of God, we have to prepare a place for it, right? We have to prepare a margin. There's got to be some margin in your life over seven days where there's some scripture infused into your life. Somewhere. Well, I need to read uh, 20 chapters a day. Well, how about we read one, right? Can we, can we start with one? Let's start with one, right? You want to read a book in a month? Read Proverbs 30. Read Proverbs. 31 chapters in Proverbs. You can go through it in a month. One chapter a day, right? Simple stuff. We have Bibles on our phones. You can listen to the Old, to the New Testament, or the whole Bible. If you want it dramatized where you're hearing seagulls and noise, you can have that. You know what I mean? If you want it King James style, these and the vowels, you got that too. If you want it in modern English, I mean, no matter what the translation is, you have it on your phone. You're literally carrying a Bible around with you everywhere you go. You just don't know it. version app, audio Bibles, Bible Gateway, another one, tons of audio on there. Listen to it anytime. You can listen to it in the car in the commute. Say, I don't want to do that five days a week. We'll do it three. Can we do three? Can we do two? Right? Can we do one? Let's start where we're at. Can we do one? What we really got to do, we got to distill this down to where we no longer have excuses. We have to welcome it as a friend. We have to welcome the word of God, which means we have to prepare a place for it. If you had a friend that was coming over to stay the night, would you prepare a room for them? Oh, sorry. You got to sleep on the porch, bro. Man, I... I we're just not ready for you, man. I know you said you were coming two weeks ago, but can you sleep in your car tonight until we figure this out? 
I mean, if you're, got, if you're welcoming a friend or somebody that's very important to you, you're going to make that you're going to clean the house. I mean, you're going to, you know, and make some food, whatever it is, but you're going to prepare a place. We have to prepare a place. We have to create a margin. The third thing is we study it and we do it. James 1, 2, don't listen to the word. And if you just listen to the word, you're deceiving yourselves. You're like a person that looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they look like. The word of God is so that you look in a mirror. Ladies, can I get a witness here? Right? Guys, we only look in the mirror when we're at the gym. We're like... <laughs> Ladies, wherever there's a mirror, they, that, if there's a mirror in the room, the woman will find it. Because she wants to check herself. She wants to make sure her appearance is right. She wants to make sure if her hair's out of order, she can put it back into order, right? That's the whole idea of a mirror. So when we look into the Word of God as a mirror, it's to show us the things that, you know, your hair's sticking up over here, you know, your pants are falling down. I mean, your shirt's not buttoned right, whatever. It's to show us what's, what's going on with our lives so that we can correct it. You're looking at your face in the mirror and you go away and look. And it, but, so this verse is telling us to listen to the word of God, to do it, to keep looking. This word keep looking, it means to study. So we're not just to read it, we're to actually go into it. We're to, do, we're to get into it. And then it says, and as you keep looking and as you're deeping into it, do it again. So it tells us to look into the word of God twice, deeply. Not just listen to it, do it, but it says study it. And then in case you didn't get the first time, let me say it again, study it some more. We're supposed to be students of this book. That's what we are. We're people of the book. Doesn't mean you understand it. Let me just be clear, right? Say this with me. Jesus, I may not understand, but I am called to read it. You're called to put the word in you, right? Understanding comes through teaching. That's what understanding comes through. How will you know unless you're taught? So understanding comes through teaching, but you need to put the word of God in you even though you don't understand it. And if you're putting the word of God in you, the spirit of God will start revealing things to you that you didn't know. And all of a sudden, now you have an experiential faith. Or you're putting the word of God in you and somebody's teaching it. And all of a sudden, it comes alive in you. And you're like, oh, I just read that. Now you have an experiential faith. The word is alive. So study it, study it some more. And it says, don't forget. What this word is talking about is meditate. I don't know how to meditate. Do you know how to worry? Anybody here need some lessons on how to worry? Say it. If I know how to worry, I know how to worship. Mm-hmm. I say that again. That's going to help you. If I know how to worry, <laughs> I know how to worship. Worrying is just repeating those same crazy thoughts over and over again. Over and over again. What if you repeated worship over and over again? What if you repeated the scripture over and over again? God so loved. God so loved. That's what it means to meditate. When you're worrying, you're meditating on negative things. Really, that's what you're doing. You're ruminating over and over again. Same principle. If you can worry, you can worship. If you can worry, you can meditate. That's probably what all worry is, actually, is just a misaligned worship. Because of our brokenness, God has taken that ability, and it's, our sin has taken that ability, and now it's focused on the wrong things. So here's a quick 10-day challenge. I'm almost done. 10-day challenge for the, book, for the book of John. Read one chapter in the morning, one chapter in the evening. So put a Bible by your bed. Hallelujah. Find it. Blow the dust off it. Right? You know where it is. Open it up. You know? Put it by your bed. And read one chapter in the morning. Put first things first. You get up. You're going to read it. Okay? Good to go. Off we go. Then when you come home at night, you know, after you, whatever it is you do, Read another chapter. So, and that's 10 days. You'll be through the book of John. You can be through the book of John probably in an hour if you put it on audio. 
But if you want to read it, this is just to produce a habit. Do it in the morning, do it in the evening. Early morning, late at night. Rising of the sun till it's going down. If you want to go all in, First and Second Timothy and James. Those are some, if you guys been in the faith for a while and you've been a Christian for a while and you're relatively familiar, I always, I always read the Gospels. I can't ever get enough of Jesus. So I'm always, I love the Gospels. But if you've really been in the faith and you need some instruction, then you need to go to First and Second Timothy. First and Second Timothy, Paul is instructing a disciple. Right? He's not instructing a new believer. He's instructing a disciple. And James is not instructing, a, it's, James is not instructing new believers either. James is instructing disciples. And so James, I call James the book of high karate. James is like, tch, tch, you know, wake up, wake up. I like film noir. Anybody like, and I don't know if you know what film noir is, but it's like old 40s crime movies. They were filmed with dark shadows and everything. I'm really, I like film noir. My wife is like, I don't know why you like these movies, but I like them. And, and if you ever watch film noir, there's always a fight, right? It's like, it's when men ate steak, right? It's when these guys, and so there's always a fight. There's somebody, they're always fighting. And so you get these crazy, like old school fight scenes. And another thing that happens is when somebody's out of line, they crack them in the back of the head, you know? Hey, what are you thinking here? What's wrong with you, right? Now, I don't recommend violence. Full disclosure, I'm not recommending violence. But I am recommending going to, the, going to the mirror sometimes and giving yourself a couple of these to wake up. I mean, we need to wake up. So if you want, come on, thank you, as I just broke my microphone, smacking myself. So if you want, a, you want a bigger challenge, go there. Faith comes and is demonstrated through the promises. Okay, I'm going to close with this. I just got a little bit more and I'm done. I had to put this in here. Do you know you're an heir? Do you know that? I, re- I quote you guys Galatians all the time. I say to you that the heirs, so long as they are chi- a child, are no different than a slave, though they are masters of all, but is under tutoring and under restraining until the time appointed by the Father. What Galatians is saying, Paul is telling the church, is he's saying you are heirs, but so long as you remain as children, you are no different than slaves. So long as you remain immature in your faith, you are unable to manifest the kingdom. You are unable to manifest promise because you're behaving like children. I say to you, the heirs, so long as they are immature and undeveloped in their faith, are no different than slaves. That's why you see Christians, no different. Can I get a witness here? And if y'all around, I mean, maybe I swim in this world more than you do. But when I see believers that for 30 years, they can't get past certain things, right? We all got struggles. I get it. But when we're just repeating this cycle over and over and over and over again, it has to do that it's not God that's doing it. Could it be you? Could it be that you're immature in some area? I say to you that the heir, God is saying you're an heir. I cannot move you past this because of the immaturity. So you are no different than a slave. That's why you remain in the position that you are, even though you are masters of all. Man, that's crazy. We're heirs and masters of all. And so what's the quest? The quest is to become mature, right? If I have a thought, I mean, what does that look like? Then let's pursue maturity. What does it mean to grow up in Christ? What does it mean? What does this look like? How do we get there? And now this is, I said all that to say this. This is Hebrews. He's talking to the heirs. Thus God determining, Hebrews 6, to show more abundantly to the heirs the immutability of his counsel. What it's saying here, in God's willingness to establish his heirs. He wants to take the heirs of his kingdom. That's you and me, sons and daughters, in an effort to establish them more soundly. God showed them the immutability of his nature. 
by two things. Number one, it's impossible for him to lie. So God, we are heirs, right? So what God is saying is, I want to establish you. I want to establish you firmly as an heir and so that you understand who you are. And so I'm going to give you promises and I'm going to give you something on top of those promises that if I said it, I'm going to do it. It is impossible for me to lie. Impossible. That's what God says establishes the heirs is that you just like Jesus said it. He's going to do it. The promise is for me. It's going to happen. And the second one is that is this pursuit. Right. So it says this, that we have this strong consolation or this this comfort that we have a refuge of hope set before us. In other words, we have the consolation that God cannot lie. And we have the consolation that God has set before us hope in promises. Your today is doesn't have to be your tomorrow doesn't have to be like today. It doesn't. You don't have to live as you used to live. This is this is what God is saying. And so what he's saying is, is that like through this consolation that God cannot lie and through this consolation or the surety of hope, we have access behind the veil. This is again why we know, you know, you have access to the presence of God. Do you know that? Come on. You guys know when we're worshiping, you should get in that man because you have access to the presence. We, we treat the presence like it's nothing. God says we have access to the presence behind the veil. When we know that he is who he says he is. And we have hope because of the promises we have set before us. We begin to draw again from that divine nature. And the power of God begins to resonate through our life. But it's an intentionality that you have to have. Different types of word. I'm going to give it to you. You have logos. You need a word from God. He cannot lie. Some of you, logos. That's the written word. That's the Bible. The second one is rhema. Revealed word. Revelation word. All of these are there. We have the logos. We have the rhema. The revealed word. We have the prophetic word. Right? We have a prophetic word and we have the didactic word. What I'm giving you today, this morning is didactic. It's the teaching word. So we have the logos, the written word, the rhema. So when you're reading the word of God and you're meditating on it and all of a sudden you're reading on it, you read God so loved the world and all of a sudden it just flashes to you. God so loved. That's revelation. Right? That's when the word becomes alive. So we have logos, we have rhema, we have prophetic word, and then we have didactic word. We have to lay hold of. So Bible's telling us to lay hold of, right? So one of the things it says is God cannot lie. And it tells us to lay hold of that, that comfort, which is the promises. And the word lay hold of is kata fugio. I want to say fuego. But it's kata fugio. And it means to settle down and lean into. So when God is saying, I want to establish the heirs, I want you to have confidence that I cannot lie. If I said it, I'm going to do it. So find the promise, settle down, and lean into it. That's what it's saying. Come on. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you this. Find a promise in the Bible. That's why we give out promise books. We believe in the promises of God. Okay? We believe God is a living God. Find a promise. Ready? Say this with me. Every promise has a condition. There's no such thing as unconditional promises. No such thing. You have to activate them. Well, salvation is not unconditional. You have to believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. That's a condition. You understand? You have to give your heart away in order to activate that promise. That promise exists for the whole world, but the whole world isn't safe, right? There's blessings that are available. There's promises that are available, but we have to activate the condition. Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. What's the promise? They will recover. What's the condition? Hello, right? We're not going to see the promise until we meet the condition. You have to meet the condition. We quote verses like, my God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. But what we fail to read is the condition that's right above that. What's the condition? Generosity to the gospel. 
If you read that in context, Paul is quoting that to a church that is abundantly generous in forwarding the gospel. And it is out of that generosity that that promise manifests. So if you want to quote, God will supply all of your needs, then you need to be generous to the gospel. Just saying. That's why we quote these verses, and yet they don't seem to manifest because we're not attaching to them or we're not doing the conditions that God has laid upon them. There's many of them. Find a promise, make it yours. Where is the promise? Does God have a promise for you? We have promise books. Go online and say, promises for stress, right? Cast all your cares unto me because I care to eat, I care for you, right? Lean not into your own understanding, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths and the peace of God will guard your heart and mind. Okay, so the peace of God's going to guard my heart, my heart and mind. When? When I stop leaning to my own understanding. When? When I stop acknowledging, when I acknowledge him in all my ways. Do you get that? We can talk about the peace of God that surpasses knowledge, but that peace of God is related to a condition. Stop leaning, stop thinking up your own plans, right? Acknowledge the Lord, and then the peace comes. Conditional. Find the promise, make it yours, meet the conditions, and then what, do, do the catafuego, fugio, settle down and lean in. That's where we get this word stand. All right, last story. Almost done. I never think I have enough. I mean, I, could, I, like, I had like 30 other things I wanted to say, and I was like, I can't say all this. Faith is trusting in. Say it with me. Faith is trusting in, believing in, and acting towards the promises of God. That's it. Faith is important because we can't please God without it. This is why we have to live by faith. Anybody here want to please Jesus? Come on. Then we have to have faith. Faith isn't, again, it's not abstract. Faith is active. We believe God for a promise, and we lean in. We pursue him in light of the promise. Number two, it's a lifestyle we're called to live. So faith's important because we can't please the Lord without it. The second is, is we're called to live faith as a lifestyle. Habakkuk chapter two, great book. Habakkuk's freaked out. Anybody freaked out? Yeah, yeah is life, ever, have you ever encountered living moments where you were just completely freaked out? Habakkuk is the dude for you, all right? So he's in a situation and he can't figure it out and he's overwhelmed He's overwhelmed by the circumstances. He's overwhelmed by what's surrounding him. And he said, I will set my face upon the ramparts and I will see what the Lord will set. So what does he do? He seeks the Lord, right? And the Lord gives him a vision. And Habakkuk chapter 2 says what? Write the vision. Make it plain upon table. What I'm telling you, what I'm telling you right now, Habakkuk, write it down. So that when you read it or whoever reads this vision is going to run with it. And though the vision tarry, wait for it, for it is for an appointed time. It will come, right? And then he goes on to describe that Habakkuk, I know you're in a difficult situation, but you got to live by faith. That's what he says. And he says, the just shall live by his faith. Where does that come from? It comes from the narrative I just told you. He's overwhelmed. He's tripping. He's completely freaking out. He doesn't know what he's going to do. God says, I'm going to give you a vision, you know? What if God gave you an answer to your problems that was in a vision? You say, well, I need a million dollars. What if he gave you instructions that if you would follow those instructions and be obedient through a process of time, he would give you that? We want it instant. We're Burger King Christians. We want it our way. We want it now, right? Hold the cheese, hold the pickles. Come on, Lord, you got 30 seconds to deliver this. That's how we are. What if God gave you a vision and he said, write that down and pursue it? Don't give up on it because what I told you is a living word. You'll have it if you don't give up. You're not weary in your well-doing, right? 
And then he tells him, listen, dude, I know everything around you is freaking you out. And I know the wicked were around him pressing in on him. He's trying to rebuild the temple. And they didn't want the temple rebuilt. The people of the land, not the Jews, but he was sent back. And he's trying to get the temple services in order. And all of the people, the, the natives, that had, that squatters that had come into the land, are now pushing in on him, threatening his life. Can you imagine? Your life is under daily threat of sword. Let's just make this real. Daily. You don't know if you go to the marketplace if you're going down. They know who you are. No matter where you go, your family's under threat, constant threat. This is when it now has just got real. And he says, what do I do? He says, here's a vision. Follow the vision. Live by faith. Trust in what I just told you. If you need further instructions, come see me. I'll help you with that. But in the meantime, live by your faith. Faith is overcoming power. It's how we overcome the world. You're not overcoming anything unless you have faith. 1 John 5, 4, this is that which overcomes the world. What? Our faith. How do we overcome the world? Our faith. What overcomes the world? Faith is trusting in, believing in, and acting upon the promises of God. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's relating to the promises of God. We overcome the world by promises. You don't overcome the promises of the world by worry, Christian. You don't. God's power is neutered in a culture that's not his. In his culture, his culture overwhelms this culture if we will operate according to kingdom culture and stop operating. Well, everybody around me is doing this. Is that what the Lord would have you do? I mean, we don't, we don't follow the concourses of this world. That's how we get into trouble. We have an overcoming power if we will just apply ourselves into it. It's difficult. God's going to build you up. It's gymnasium. He's going to work you out and getting you there. He's going to build your faith. I have more to say on that, but I'm done. Every opportunity, say it with me. If I'm believing God for a promise, or I'm believing God for a word, every opportunity will be given to me to quit. Did you know that? You will have overwhelming opportunity to quit. The devil's going to hand it to you on a silver platter. He'll, He'll even trim it in gold if you want. The devil will provide you with 15 or 20 outs, no problem, as long as he can get you to quit. It's the only way the Christian is defeated. Did you know that? We're an unconquerable people that can only be defeated if we quit. Be not weary in your well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you what? Faint not, if you don't quit. It's the only way the Christian can be defeated is if they quit. And so what do you think the devil is trying to get you to do? Exactly. That is the very, and he will give you excuses. Oh my gosh, he'll come to you and go, you tried the best you could. Man, I don't know anybody that's tried harder than you. You just need to quit. You just need to give up. It's over. You know, you don't have to put up with this. You don't have to try anymore. And your excuses may be justified. But the question is never what circumstances are telling you. It's what does the Lord tell me? Listen, we started this church with nothing, right? We took this building with 15 people. Right? This building. I could show you pictures. The walls were green. It was crazy. We had couches. You were here. You know? It was nuts. And, and when I started this church, when we planted this church, when we first began this church, we were in a dance studio, and there was two people. And, I had, and the offering was 30 bucks. And I think we paid a couple hundred bucks a week on the, on the dance studio. So do the math. You know, I had 30 bucks in the offering, and I want to go buy bullets. That's pretty much it. You know? And I wanted to quit. I was like, I'm done. I'm out. There was so much opposition. 
So much opposition. Oh my gosh, opposition on the left, opposition on the right, trouble in the city, trouble in the village, trouble from false brethren. I had all kinds of stuff that's been over this church from the very beginning and and over me. It's just this constant thing. And I have had, when I talk to you about having an excuse to quit, I have them. I have them. And the devil has offered them to me every single time. Every single time. But when I go to the Lord and I say, what do you want me to do? And he said, if you have one, people, one person and one dollar, you don't quit. So he told me. And I'm like, well, as long as I'm married, you know, and I know I'm going to be giving, so I know there's going to be a dollar, so at least it's going to be, you know. <laughs> so it doesn't look like I can quit. And even as Sherry and I separated, my daughter was coming at the time. So, oh, man, Mariah's still here. No, that wasn't going to happen. But I've been married 30 years. Praise the Jesus. Yes. Every opportunity is going to be given to you. Every opportunity. Paul says this to Timothy. I charge you. He's commanding him. Who is he commanding? He's commanding a disciple. Are we disciples? He's commanding you. I charge you, Timothy, according to the prophecies, the prophetic word that has been spoken over your life concerning you, use those prophetic words to wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning faith, and they suffer shipwreck. When you give up faith, you're going to suffer a shipwreck. It's inevitable. So the Bible's telling you. If God has given you a word, then you take that word and you turn it into warfare. That's what it's telling me. That's what it's telling you. Where, where do we wage war? Do we go do fist fights in the streets? Is that how we fight a fight, right? Do we go do alley fights, put a rag on our head, and like throw it down in the streets? That's not what we do. Our fight is in the heavenlies. Our fight is in the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down a stronghold. And what does it look like? God's given you a word. Lord, you said. Lord, you said you cannot lie. This is the word that you've spoken over my life. Therefore, I stand before you. I've been obedient, just like Caleb. Caleb said, I've been obedient to everything you told me. Now, therefore, let me reap the reward. So Caleb was obedient, and Caleb held up the, the honor. God has given you a word. You hold the word before him. Put me in remembrance of what I said. Not because he forgets, because he wants you to know. And so we remember what God has said to us. We let the devil know, I will not quit. I will succeed. I will not fail. I am above only and not beneath. You find your method of warfare. You find your method of battle. You find your way. You're not a victim, you're a victor. You understand? And what we don't do is we don't activate the power that's been given to us and the devil runs roughshod over our lives. We act like he doesn't exist. Christians welcome the enemy into their home. He sits down and starts eating Doritos. And then you, we walk by and go, would you, like a, would you like some water with your Doritos, Mr. Satan? Would you like that? Because we don't understand that we have the right to evict him. We don't have the right to understand that we don't understand it. What the Bible's telling us is if God has given you a word, then he has given you a promise, then turn it into warfare. Make scriptures first place. Make scriptures final authority. And make an immovable decision that you will find a promise, you will settle into that promise, and you will believe that promise. Amen? 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 <laughs> well, I'm going to do this. Just give me, give me, give me three minutes because I want to do this. We want to call anybody that's there and if you've never received Jesus. If there's anyone here with us this morning and you've never received Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity. The greatest opportunity you can ever have is to receive Christ in your heart. The Bible says old things pass away and behold, all things become new. So I don't understand it. I had a story of a guy that came to Christ here at Elevate, and he says, I don't understand Jesus. He said, I don't understand it. He seems like a fairy. He seems like a gnome. I said, what does your heart say? He says, my heart believes that he's real, but my head can't get my mind around it. 
And I told him, belief and understanding are two different things. You can believe something without fully understanding it. And so sometimes people, when they come into Jesus, they don't want to come to Christ because they can't understand everything. We all come to Jesus by faith. We come to Jesus by faith by not understanding everything. Scripture says this, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everyone. We're a fallen race. The Bible says the wages of that sin is death or eternal separation from God. But God doesn't want that. Jesus doesn't want that. But the gift of God is life through Christ Jesus. And then it tells us how to get that life. It says if you'll believe in your heart and you'll confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. I knew a guy got born again. He listened to a sermon on Easter. He was completely hungover. He didn't remember anything until that moment when somebody said, receive Jesus, and his head popped open. Hungover, drunk, sitting in the front row of a church from partying the night before. There are people that are watching right now. You may not understand anything I just said, but you can understand this. If you're in a room and you're with other believers, and we, we pray together as a church because it's a family affair, so we're going to pray in the room. We're going to do a prayer of dedication, a prayer of offering of our lives to Christ. And if you're there and you're watching us by stream at whatever time and day it is or whatever history it is, we want to encourage you to do this. And if you're with other believers, I want all of the believers to pray the word. Pray it with them. No one is outcast. We come together. So I'll do all the heavy lifting that Jesus will do the rest. Let's pray. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand it, but I choose to believe it. So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. All that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. You say, that's it? No, that's the start of it. If you prayed that prayer, contact us, Elevate Miami Church at Gmail. We'd love to hear from you. We want to bless you and encourage you some more. And all of us that are here, come on, yes, we can praise God if you did that. We're clapping for you. (laughs) And so let me bless you one more time. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you in every way. May he be gracious to you. May he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. I try.